0: So one of the great moments for me in my life was in sixth grade, I was captain of the safety patrol. Anybody know what that is, safety patrol? I had the the, the white belt with, with the blue badge. I was captain. I had authority. I could tell you to stop running in the hall. I could tell you to stop running to the bus. I could keep you from crossing into traffic. I had my authority, which came from the supreme authority, which was the principal at Wetzel Road Elementary School in Liverpool, New York. I had authority. Now, there was this guy in sixth grade who challenged my authority constantly. And one day he came running to the bus and I said, hey, you slow down, you walk. And then he told me what I could do with my badge. I had been watching too many hero movies at that moment, and so I said to him, you know, if I wasn't wearing this badge right now, you and I, we'd, we'd go at it. To which he said, all right, tomorrow morning, before school, in the gym, I'll see you there. Now, now the, the culture then in the, in, in the 1960s, in what's a road elementary school, was this, that if there was going to be a duel, if there's going to be a fight, you don't fight in the hallway, you go to the gym, and the coach gives you boxing gloves, and you duke it out. Well, I realized, first of all, that the moment I would take off that badge, that I was on my own. And this guy was going to pulverize me. Because he's one of those guys, you swear he's been in the sixth grade for 10 years. (laughs) He probably drove there, has a family, and works at (laughs) Country Fair. I'm just sure that's the case. (laughs) So I realized that, that on my own, with my own authority, I was too weak to face this guy, so I didn't go. I told him I was too busy. I was too scared. And above all, I was too intimidated that day and for the rest of my days in the sixth grade. I tried to avoid this guy. His intimidation worked. So let me define intimidation for us this morning. It's to render timid, to inspire fear. And the objective of intimidation is to restrain someone from action or coerce them into submission. It means that something I want to do I don't do because I'm intimidated or something I don't want to do I end up doing because I'm fearful. So who is it or what is it in your life that intimidates you right now? For this, this last week, starting last week and, and in these next six weeks following, we're looking at seven parts of life that affect how we view our next 24 hours. For most of us, we have these presets in our lives that affect how we approach our day. And I am going to propose to you again this morning that we make choices every day based on those presets and especially on the intimidation presets that we have built within us. So to help us deal with our timidity, to help us deal with our fear, Paul the Apostle counsels us. And he simply tells us, reset your preset with this. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Well, easier said than done. Except understand that when Paul was writing this, he was an inmate in a Roman prison and was expecting to be executed, and it didn't even phase him. Because here's what he understood. If you don't walk in your God-given authority, someone will take it from you and use it against you. So from the depths of his experience, this, this veteran follower of Christ, the Messiah, warns us that there is a place or position of authority that we hold as Christ followers. Now, how many of you are Christ followers in this room? Okay, this is for you. There is a place or position of authority that you hold as a Christ follower, and this authority is exactly what the enemy wants. So, this morning, let, let's just say that that, that I am God. Let, let me be God today. And so, as God, I create this thing we call the world, and my goal is to create humanity who's going to live on this earth and they're going to experience my pleasure. And what I do then is I create this place, I call it the garden, and the garden is where heaven and earth intersect. This is the place where I as God will roam. And I will create creatures and I will create, and you've read it, and then light and all of all that goes on. But the most important thing, the crown jewel of what I create will be humanity. I will create man and woman. And so, so I just want to demonstrate this, and I'm going to call on some people who have no idea I'm calling on them, but I'm not going to embarrass you. You won't freak out. Luke, come, come up with me. Yeah, you knew it, didn't you? Yeah. So so I, as God, create man. And what a specimen of man right here. Isn't that great? All right. Yeah. He even cut his hair for this today, so that's, I appreciate it. So, so I create man, and, and, and Luke, because I've created you in this garden, we get to do this amazing thing. We get to, to you and God have this chance to to have this relationship with God. And, and we walk through the days and we enjoy it. And then I say, here's what we're gonna do. Because I love you so much, I'm going to create for you a partner and, and you're gonna get married. You are gonna get married. Is that what I heard? Did... Did you ask somebody to marry you yesterday? I did. And what did she say? She said yes. She said yes. And who is it? Chloe. Chloe? Hey, Chloe. So God says, what you will do is that you will fill the earth with children. I'm just saying it's in the scripture. Okay, so. So the goal of God when he created man is that you would create families who would then enlarge this garden of God's presence and it would overtake the earth. Very, very cool. But there is this arch enemy of God's. Adam, come stand by me. <laughs> the arch enemy, we know him as Satan. Look at these people and look mean. Okay. Okay. So, the archenemy of God's comes to man and says to him, you know, this whole thing, oh, I forgot one part. As I'm hanging out with you, and you're going to have to do all this stuff, I say, well, you're going to be in charge, so what I have to give to you now is my authority. So, from now on, you have the authority and have dominion over the earth, and you get to rule, you get to do the thing that makes everything happen because you've got the power. Our enemy shows up and he says, you know that whole thing of dominion over the earth? That's pretty cool. But God is holding out on you because he knows that if you know what he knows, you'll be just like him or even perhaps greater than him and you can have dominion over him. So if you just go over there and get that knowledge, man, you got it. Now you had a choice to make. Did you believe him? You did. So man believes the enemy of God. Now comes a rule of creation. The rule of creation is this, that whoever you obey becomes your master. As long as humanity listened to God, God was their master. The moment he believed and followed the words of Satan, Now at this moment, Satan now is his master. Therefore, all that he owns now becomes his. And he says, God wanted to share that dominion and authority with you, but now that you belong to me, I want it, and you have to hand over that authority to Satan. And the very thing that God had determined would give us protection and provision is now going to be used for death and destruction horrible mess and the sad part about it is this what he could have done is he could have called me over as God and said to Satan Satan I got the creator here and he's given me authority and you're on my turf you're trespassing get out and he would have had to go now he's not going to leave so then, God decides that he must intervene, and he has to do it in a legal manner. Because man gave away the authority, a man has to take it back. And so God puts on flesh. Greg Paulding, can I borrow you? You get to be Jesus today. Can you look holy? <laughs> All right, so you go stand by man. So God in flesh shows up. His name is Jesus. Jesus. And when he shows up, Satan recognizes there's something happening here and they have a face-to-face confrontation. So you move this way and and Jesus come over and Satan and you are going to do a face-to-face. Kind of like a heavyweight fight. All right. I think Jesus was taller. Now listen to what Jesus is told by Satan. Satan says to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish, so if you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus understands, not gonna work, because the very moment that he obeys Satan, not only will Satan have dominion over this earth, but he will also have the power that that someone who was fully God and fully man possesses, and he'll have a greater power, therefore Jesus knows something else has gotta happen. Okay, break it up, you can go back over there. So now what happens is this, Jesus says, let me show you what it's like when dominion is ruled on this earth the way that God designed it. And so Jesus says, watch dominion over nature. And he says to a storm, settle down and the winds and the waves stop. He says to water, we're going to bypass the whole process where you have to go in the ground, go up to the plant, become a grape and then fermented. We're going to go straight to the wine. Because I can do that, I have dominion. He says to the physical body, you who are covered in leprous leprous sores, I don't want those anymore. I have command of the body, be healed. And suddenly the the sores are gone. You can't see? I'm taking dominion, you're going to see right now. Because I have dominion over this place. That's what happens when God's dominion is released, and he he affects the spirit. He says, you are so torn up inside with a cancer of sin, and so I'm telling you now, the sin is gone. You're forgiven, and even the thing we fear the worst, death. He says, little girl, get up, and suddenly life is back in that body. Now, Satan says, that's enough is enough. I will, I will attack him with my full authority, and he attacks Jesus with his full authority, with the tip of the spear being death itself. He attacks Jesus, Jesus dies. Three days later, Jesus says, oh, by the way, did I tell you that my life has greater authority than your death? And because Jesus now has conquered death and Satan's greatest authority, Jesus says, now you have been conquered. I now have authority over you, Therefore, what you have received on earth from humanity, I want now, and now you have got to give authority and dominion over to Jesus, and it's passed on. Now, watch what Jesus does with that authority. He says, the plan has never changed or been altered. I'm still giving it back to you, and he gives it back to man. That's what you have right now. Thanks, guys. So please hear me and hear me clearly if you are a follower of Jesus. Christ followers are given a position in God's spirit above the devil. Because here's the deal. The scripture says that when Jesus rose from the grave, he went to the right hand of the Father. The right hand of the Father is the symbolic place of all authority. And Paul the apostle then later said to the people in Ephesus, he said, now, do you understand that when you put your faith in Jesus, you rose with him into heavenly places? You're seated with him there. So here's what you got. You got Jesus and you have authority. That's why Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 19, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will injure you. You say, well, wait, 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 wait. Paul's in prison. How does that work? So Paul explains it. Philippians 1, verse 12, "...and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear." It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others, are, others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. And those who do not have pure motives, as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to What? Rejoice! We talked about this whole view of starting life with this whole concept of joy and what it means. We talked about it last week. Go to the podcast and get caught up if you weren't here last Sunday. Why would he be joyful? Because we don't have to be intimidated by bad circumstances. Because God still has a plan. See, a, a traveling pre- preacher like Paul, who's in prison, is like is, is like taking. Tyler and putting him on the stage and and tying one hand behind his back and say play guitar go for it You just say it's not going to work And so you're here today and you say you know I was supposed to I was supposed to get that scholarship to that university and it didn't come through I guess I just I I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I I guess I'm done You know, i was supposed to make this amount of money to help offset my school loans and 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 I haven't found that job And and so I just I'm just stuck. I, I guess I just got no place to go You know, I was supposed to marry her, and then she just, just a week ago, she dumped me, and it's just, that's not going to happen to you, by the way. I'm just letting you know. I'm just, I'm declaring that. So I'm just stuck, and and life's going to be miserable for me the rest of my life. You think you're on pause? Because wherever you are, whatever that circumstance is, God is there right now, and because God is there, so is his authority, because you are his authority. So in this prison, the the Roman guard understand the gospel. But only their gospel is this. It's the gospel of Caesar, which is Caesar is Lord. That's what they would say. Caesar is Lord. And that he is going to bring justice and peace. Paul is saying to all of them, no, 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 no. Jesus has taken the throne of this world, and he is summoning everyone to kneel before him. What Jesus has said, Paul is declaring, and what Paul is declaring is what John the Revelator would reveal through the book of Revelation, how we are to function in circumstances where evil has seemed to come in and stalled us. He said, here's what we do. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from them. He said, by the blood of the Lamb, which is simply this, hey, Jesus overcame you, took dominion, and my testimony is this, that I'm in connection with Jesus, therefore I now have that authority. That is what I declare. So if you're traveling down I-90 and you don't know Jason Hotchkiss, but he pulls up in his Mitsubishi Outlander next to you, And tells you to pull over. He has a he has a a little megaphone thing that he does a siren sound with, and he says, pull over, pull over. (laughs) You have a choice. He does that on Friday night, so if you see him, don't. (laughs) But if you see a state patrol car pull up next to you and he's in full uniform with his badge, and the lights are flashing, and he hits the siren and he comes over the loudspeaker and says, pull over, will you pull over? Because you recognize his authority. So when the voice says to you, your marriage is over, your life is going to crumble. When it says to you, you will always be in poverty. When he says to you, you will not find happiness. When he says to you, your dream is done. When that voice speaks to you, you have a choice. At that moment you can say, all right, I might as well pull over. I've been arrested Or you can say, wait, 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 wait. Jesus is in the car with me. And he has overcome you. So I have Jesus and I have authority. And I'm telling you, you're trespassing, but out. See, the guards couldn't ignore authority like that. They said, there's something, something, something so incredible about this. And because Paul was changing things within that very prison with the authority that was his, those believers who were in Rome who were going to be persecuted were very brave because they said, we still have that same authority. So I think this morning about my mom. She's 84. She's doing great. And I remember using this authority as I was growing up. Sometimes I didn't like it when she used that authority. So... If I get in a circumstance that she knew was bad for me, she would go to prayer and she would begin to declare, as the voice would say to her, your son's in trouble and he's going to mess up his life. She'd say, oh, no, he's not because I have authority. And she would begin to find promises for me and begin to pray them over me. So my freshman year in college, I fell in love with a girl from Long Island, New York, and she was just gorgeous. And, and I just I just flipped over her and we were in love and I even went for two weeks after school was out and went to her place to, for the summer and everything was great. And the whole time I didn't know it. My, my mom already sensed because one of the great things about authority is it also gives you the ability to discern. And she said, this is not right. This is not. She's a great girl, but she's not for you. Because somehow she knew and God was saying, no, there's somebody further down the road, his senior year that he's going to find, this gorgeous blonde that actually will love him and stick with him. So, she began to pray. I went and hung out with this girl for two weeks at her home in Long Island. I came back. Can't wait to see her again in the fall, and I'm just I'm I'm ready to ask her to marry me. And I get this letter from her four weeks later that says, you know, I just think it's, I don't think it's going to work, and she breaks up with me, and it just crushes me. And my mom is relieved, but she didn't tell me she'd prayed against me for a year because <laughs> we would have had a war. But she knew. When I was in high school, I went to public school and and I had I had a lot of friends who partied and were sexually active. But my mom and my dad would, would pray and they would declare these promises over me and they would declare authority over me. And so when I would have the opportunities to be tempted to do what I know I shouldn't do, I just had the strength to say no. And in the moments when I was weak, because there were those moments when I was weak, I went looking for trouble. I couldn't find it. Made me so mad. Except for this one time, my senior year. I've shared this before, but it's just—it's so appropriate here. I at at that point had decided, you know, I've been—I've been a good boy this whole time, and my friends are having fun, and and they've been sexually active, so perhaps I should be sexually active, and so, so I knew who I should get, and there's this really cute cheerleader, and, and the word was out that she was pretty loose, and so I invited her out. And, and so we went out, and, and then we, we found a really quiet place back away from everybody in my car, and I had plans. And so we pulled up, and I leaned over to kiss her and begin the evening, and she said, wait, 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 i got to tell you. Two weeks ago, I went, with, I went with Julia on a Sunday night to her church, and I gave my heart to Jesus. And she she says this, she says, so I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, and so are you, isn't that great? (laughs) Mom strikes again. See, I don't care what your circumstance is. You have authority to begin to declare God's truth, and it will enter into the picture, because bad circumstances will not ruin God's plan for you. You say, but what about these really, really malicious people? Well, Paul says this, don't be intimidated by malicious people. They can't ruin God's plan for you either. That nasty boss, that that ugly ex, I'm telling you, they can't ruin it. And Paul said this, there's a whole group of people that are speaking against me, and and historians and scholars can't quite agree on this. It's either some folks who are followers of Jesus who are jealous of Paul, and therefore they're bad-mouthing him as they're trying to grow their group of followers. Or it's people who don't really know Jesus and they're telling the story of this guy who believes in this this man who died and rose again and now they worship him. And so they're making, making Paul look like a lunatic. And Paul says, what's great about this, what's so great about this thing is this. Either way, Jesus is getting preached. You see, this whole life, we think it's about our success and it's not. It's always been about revealing Jesus. And this authority that he gives us is not about us getting great things or becoming great people or doing great stuff. It's always been about revealing Jesus. Trying to use that authority to get my stuff and to be great and and have a a great popularity that's not Jesus, that's America. Because authority without intimate relationship is just bogus. Remember, we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the what? Word of our testimony. That word of our testimony is a description of our intimacy with Jesus. How we really know Jesus. Because the more intimate we become with Jesus, the more powerful we become. And the greater our faith is because then we begin to understand what authority is ours and how to use it. Otherwise, it is just a formula, and you can't use in the name of Jesus and in his authority as a formula. It doesn't work. The Sceva boys, seven of them, sons of a high priest, would would go out and try to cast out demons, and they would do this. They'd say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul serves, you must be cast out. And finally, one of the demons looked at them and said, look, Jesus' authority we got. Paul's authority we know. But we have absolutely no idea who you are. And the demons attacked them, stripped them naked, and beat the tar out of them, and sent them on their way. So when we use this authority, the enemy's gonna say, okay, who are you? So here's how here's the gauge of how well we know Jesus. So that whole that whole passage about, about we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, remember how it ended? They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Did you ever notice in the New Testament, the disciples, you can't find it. They don't say, when I die, I'm going to heaven. What they say is, when I die, I'll be with Jesus. The focus is Jesus. So that's why Paul says this. This is his preset. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, to, to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. See, Paul doesn't have a death wish. He's just in love. He's in love with the king. He's in love with the Messiah. And so it just translates this way I'm just going to be wherever Jesus is. And if Jesus says I need to be with him here to help you and, and to put up with all this intimidation and fight it, I'll do that. If Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to come and be with me here away from this and I die, don't freak out because I die because either way, I'm with Jesus and in Jesus' mind, there is no difference between, or in, in, in Paul's mind, there's no difference between the two because Jesus' presence is Jesus' presence. It's like, it's like you, Monday and Tuesday might be seem separated but it's just time, it's a continuum and to be with Jesus, it's just, I'm just with Jesus and if I'm with Jesus here, I'm with Jesus with there, I'm just with Jesus, So Paul says this, preset your living this way. We must preset our living so it's worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Man, to be able to say that for me to live as Christ and to die as gain means this. That our lives must be lived worthy of the gospel of Jesus, which means the working definition of that for me is this. To be obsessed with Jesus. To just be obsessed with him. To just be obsessed with him. You know people that are obsessed with things? I, I see people, I, sometimes I go to Cleveland Indian games and I watch people and, I, and, and they're, they have every Indian's thing they could wear on their bodies. And I'm sure they're probably there every day. They're just, they're just obsessed. And when the Indians lose, you would think that they have just, the world has come to an end. They're just obsessed. To live a life worthy of Jesus is to be obsessed with him somehow I did not get in your notes this verse, and so just write down Philippians 1.27 because here's what it says. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It means be obsessed with him. So here's the, here's the issue that I want to come to now. And, and I'm not a the sky is falling, the sky is falling, sky is falling kind of guy. I'm not doom and gloom, you know that. But I believe that as I'm watching the signs of our own country, that for us to continue to exist, we must understand our authority and use it. And you're not going to understand that authority unless you're obsessed already with Jesus. I read this week a letter that came out from the director of our fellowship, our churches, and he happens to, to be a minister, but he's also an attorney. And I want to read directly to you what he said. Persecution doesn't start with acts of murder or ethnic cleansing, of course. It starts with caricatures, marginalization, and discrimination. Just think of Hitler and the Nazis and the Jews. It seeks first to dehumanize other people, for once a group is regarded as less than fully human, then it becomes acceptable to shunt them aside, to disregard them, and to treat them badly. We see the beginning elements of this cycle in some parts of the Western world, including in the United States. I'll just cite one example, and I choose choose it because I'm also an attorney. Did you know that it's impossible now for an evangelical or Pentecostal who is pro-life and who believes marriage is between a male and female to be appointed to the federal courts? About one-third of America identifies as evangelical, but not a single evangelical sits on the Supreme Court. The values of America have shifted in my lifetime as Christians have become increasingly marginalized because we hold the Bible as an authority by which we live. And even though religious freedom is enshrined in the First Amendment, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and other statutory laws, leading voices in our culture increasingly express the desire to narrow its application, changing freedom of religion to freedom of worship. In this way, they hope to privatize the faith and confine it within the four walls of a church building. And then I, I quote to you someone who is running for President of the United States. In her statement this last week when it came to the dealing of, or two weeks ago, dealing with the whole abortion issue, wherever you stand on it, is not the issue right now. Here's what she said. Rights have to exist in practice, not just on paper. Laws have to be backed up with resources and political will. And now here it is. And deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases have to be changed. So here's what I'm saying. I don't know what the next 10 years are going to be, but it is not beyond the stretch of imagination that those who are followers of Jesus, because Jesus said this, he said, you will be persecuted. And we've lived in this bubble here in the United States thinking this is the way it should be when our brothers and sisters around the world have experienced what I'm fearing may come our way. And I'm not a fear monger. I don't want to freak you out, but I'm just going to tell you this, that unless we are prepared by the authority that Jesus has given us, we won't know what to do when this happens. And if we're going to be able to do that, then we have to be obsessed with Jesus now. And I know we've got a lot of stuff, and I know we've got a lot of things we can do, and, and our kids get to do a lot of things, and, and we are so busy. We're just so busy. But I'm going to tell you right now that you cannot be obsessed with Jesus and just come to one gathering where you worship Jesus for an hour and a half and do it once a month and become obsessed with Jesus. You can't. You can't do it by just spending five minutes reading a little devotional. You can't. I'm warning you, you can't. And, and, and if the time comes that you need that authority, you just can't run to a pastor and say, hey, help me. We'll do what we can. But you have to be prepared. Which honestly means this. We have to start cutting out some things from our schedules, even though we like them, so that we can study his authority, his word, and understand it. So that we can get together and create a team of people that we pray with that will give us strength. So that we can build ourselves. The scripture says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. And and serving people, because that's part of, of the power that we have. Because it's going to be difficult to love people when they're persecuting you, but that's exactly what Jesus did. It's, it's going to be difficult not to label other people, as you perhaps will be labeled as a follower of Jesus. But Jesus didn't label people. So if somebody says to me, what do you think about about the whole homosexual thing, I say, well, who are you talking about? Because I don't label people. I just want, if you want to know how I feel about Joe over here, I'll tell you what I feel about Joe. Joe's my friend. Because we can't stereotype. And it's going to be difficult not to do that when the enemy attacks you. It's going to be difficult for your children if you don't teach them now how to use the authority of Jesus. And who's teaching them that? Who's praying for them if you're not? I think of Rose, who I conducted her funeral service on last Monday, Rose Aborsky, mother of Rick and Gary, part of this church. She had to deal with intimidation from an early age. At age four, she watched, she and her brother watched her mother leave them, walk out the door and not come back. And she had great fear. But yet the father said, her, her father said, I want to tell you that Jesus can take care of you. And he took her to church and she began to learn. And it wasn't then until the charismatic renewal in the 1970s, some of you remember that, that she renewed her faith. And so she began to become obsessed with knowing Jesus. And so, so I have permission to share these thoughts with you from Rick. And so he, he reported this. He said that one day she's at home being obsessed with following Jesus said this, Lord, Ted, who is her husband, Ted's in bed early tonight and there's nothing good on TV so it seems like a perfect time for you to send to send upon me your power of the Holy Spirit that I've been hearing about that others are experiencing. And at that moment, God just honored her and she began to be filled with the Holy Spirit and even was blessed with the ability to communicate in a language that she had not naturally acquired and it just pumped her. She loved it. She was so obsessed with Jesus, she opened up her life and said, whatever you need to change in me that would hinder me from becoming the person. And, and there's so often there's things inside of us that keep us from using that authority because there's just stuff in there we haven't got rid of. And Jesus said to her, forgive your mother. She said, well, my mom's, been, my mom's been gone for a long time. In fact, she's not even alive. And Jesus said, no, you need to forgive her. Because she was obsessed with Jesus, she did. One of the things that she had to deal with is that her husband... Ted really didn't, didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They're not sure if he's an agnostic or an atheist, what he was, but he just, he didn't. And so she couldn't share that. That could be intimidating. One one windy summer Saturday, Ted called her out and said, look, I need to get up, up high. I got to go two stories up on this ladder and it's really windy. So I need you to hold this thing because if the wind catches the ladder, I need it to be secure. So he climbed up on the ladder and she held the, the base of it, and sure enough, the wind caught him as he was stretching out, and he fell, and he landed on Rose. She had her hands up like this, and it caught her, her hand and mangled her thumb. So she went over to a doctor in, in Wesleyville, and, and the doc looked at it and said, oh, you have just messed this thing up horribly, and I can't get into it now to t- tell you what it is, but I'm scheduling you for surgery on Monday. That was on Saturday. On Saturday night, she had this prayer gathering because she obsessed over Jesus. So she went to this prayer gathering, and it's called Women's Aglow. And, and so she said, look what I pray, and God instantaneously healed her. She went home and showed Ted, and he freaked out. And it opened him up, and he said, okay, I, I think I need this Jesus too. So Ted goes to G.E., On Monday to go to work. There's this guy who's been talking to Ted for for a long time about who Jesus is and Ted's just ignored him. So he goes to this guy and he tells the whole story and this guy freaks out. He says, no, 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 you, you, you know, those things don't happen anymore. What happened then was amazing. Ted, who didn't believe two days before in the authority of Jesus, is now is not now deterred by this man's intimidation and he rebukes his coworker and preaches to him about the power of Jesus. <laughs> so, so the question I have for you is how well do you know Jesus? How obsessed are you? So it's time to reset our presets. It's time for us to be able to say I have Jesus and I have authority. So here's what I do. Number one, Do what you have to do to fall in love with Jesus. Do it. Change your schedule. Go to gatherings where you learn about him. Spend time talking to him. You will not be able to understand that authority until you understand the intimacy you need to have with him, and you won't get that by osmosis, by showing up here and just soaking it in by the person next to you. You have got to be an active participant in knowing him. I cannot tell you enough. We are in, great, in grave danger if we think we're going to make it through the next 10 to 20 years by just putting on autopilot. It's not going to happen. Moms, do you you ever remember the time that you just tried to tell your children about the dangers ahead and you just just said, I wish I could crawl under your head and tell them? Do you ever do that? Okay, I'm your mom. I'm telling you. Number two, confess where we have given in to intimidation. Just say, this this is where my fear is. And then, number three, keep declaring Jesus' intention for us. In that, find what the scriptures say and begin to declare, this is the authority I have in Jesus. And there'll be be voices telling you to take off your badge and pull over because you're not going to make it. And you've got to be able to say, no, 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 I got Jesus, I got authority, and you need to butt out. And Paul says, while you're doing that, do it together, because he says, standing side by side, fighting together for the faith. And we want you to do that. So I'm going to encourage you to go to facebook.com, Erie First, and let's encourage each other there on how to accomplish this authority in the face of intimidation. So last week I told you, and I ended with, have a great day. This week I want to change that. I want to declare over you, rule the day. Rule it. Because with the authority you have, you could even be in prison. And Paul says, you will not be frightened in any way way by those who oppose you. You say, well, what will will that opposition do when I use this authority? Here's what Paul says. This will be a sign to them that they will be destroyed. And that you will be saved by God. Use that authority and the enemy knows, whoa. I know I'm in trouble and they're going to be okay. So, come on. Put your badge back on. Say, I got Jesus and I got authority. Let's rule the day. Would you stand? So I pray this blessing over you in the authority of Jesus. And as a shepherd, I declare over you that Jesus has given you authority. May he give you discernment now to see where the lies have have taken you off track. Where you have shrunk back, where you have said, oh, it can never happen. May you now say, no, 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 no. May you look at that evil that is around you and say, I've got Jesus, I have authority, and you butt out. May you understand as you read the scriptures. May you see the authority that is yours. May you see the promises, and may you hang on that. And I pray today for you that you will see what you need to do to be obsessed with Jesus, and it will change your life. Now, go rule the day in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God bless you. Have a great Mother's Day.